Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 20 and 41 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about the Pistons' win total for the rest of this year, what Donta Hall has shown on his 10-day contract, and honestly, if the Pistons need to see Luke Kennard play the rest of the year. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Doing good. The excitement is just overwhelming right now. What a what an exciting close to the season. Am I right, Laz? Hey, they actually won a game, okay? It was a game <laughs> I did not watch live. I didn't either. So- hey. <laughs> And so knowing that they did win the game gave me actually incentive to go back and rewatch, which is something I can't often say for yeah. uh, the rest of this season. And it was like in spite of their best efforts. Maybe I'm jumping ahead of it. But like in the fourth quarter, it's like, uh, we're going to try to lose real quick. That was kind of what it looked like. Is This is not going to be a uh, fun 21 games. No, it's uh, not. You know, it's funny. The last time is uh, this is actually the their last two wins are against the Phoenix Suns, just with seven losses. Oh wow, in that's them. right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ben. So the Pistons have twenty one games left, including tonight's game against the Kings that we are recording prior to, uh, and so they are currently twenty and forty one. Do they make it to 25 wins? This is a fair question, and I, I don't have a great answer yet, right? So looking at the schedule, okay, we've got the Knicks. I think we've got the Knicks twice, and one of them is the last game of the season, so that'll be a doozy. It'll be like, you know, who cares less? So maybe there's two there, but then when you look at the rest of the schedule, okay, you'd say maybe the Warriors, but Steph is coming back like any day now. Um, and then the bulk of the rest of the games are against pretty good teams. I mean, you've got the Hawks in there. You've got the T-Wolves in there. I mean, there are not five sure things, I don't think, unless I'm missing something very obvious. No, I think I think you're right. And, like, the, the Knicks just beat the Bulls, right? The Bulls are kind of in the same territory as us, like the 20-21 win territory. And so there's no, there's no guarantee you beat the Knicks twice, right? And yeah, so you, absolutely. I mean, maybe you you jump up against like a a Los Angeles or something. I don't know. It's weird stuff happens towards the end of the year always, but it would feel like in order for the Pistons to win twenty five games, like some truly weird stuff would have to happen between now and April. And I don't know if that's the case. So I guess the next logical thing to ask from that though is that will. Will 20 wins, 22 wins, 23 wins or whatever be enough to get the Pistons the best lottery odds? 
Yeah, that's a good question too. I mean, so I was actually, Rod Beard had a really good tweet about this after the win uh, against against Phoenix. Um, So in terms of tanking, racing to the bottom, uh, he noted that this was a pivotal game in the race for a top three pick. A Pistons loss against Phoenix would have put them within a game of the second worst record. With the win, Detroit moves two games behind those who are vying for that spot. So, um, you know, if we think maybe the Pistons win 23, 24 games, yeah, I mean, that might put you in the top three range, right? With a, f- a fairly decent ch- chance of of actually winning the whole thing. And by the winning the whole thing, we obviously don't mean a championship. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is one of the first times in, in recent memory for me, like that the Pistons have had a legit chance of, of having like decent odds going into the lottery. So I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. And the the lottery odds have been flattened so that being the second worst team doesn't necessarily get you oh, the second right. best chance. Yeah. And so, well, as long as you make it into the bottom three or the bottom four, I believe, uh, you you're, you have the same odds as everybody else, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so as long as you keep losing and uh, you don't necessarily get, uh, quote unquote, beat out by the the Cavs who have been playing better since the All-Star break or the Knicks who have also been playing better since the All-Star break or a, a team like Atlanta like there there are spots available for the Pistons to get a high draft pick this year but man yeah this is this is the first time in recent memory but at the same time like this will be the first time they win probably 25 or fewer games in recent memory and uh, this, is, this is a brutal experience to undergo while in the present oh it's horrible. I'm not like, it's like the Pistons run. Uh, that, that's kind of how I feel, to be honest. And I, I don't know. I just don't like feeling that way as a fan, even though I understand like this is the best, best path forward. It's just not a lot of fun to watch. No, you, you totally got me too. Because like, because you were, <laughs> we were talking about it before the show about like when she, when we should record before the game or after the game. And I was glad you said before, because I was thinking to myself, like, after the game, like, I'm probably not going to want to talk about this yeah, team very exactly. much. <laughs> uh, but uh, the Pistons did manage to win a game. They managed to beat uh, the Phoenix Suns. Uh, they managed to do so largely due to the help of Brandon Knight. Uh, Brandon Knight's been good this whole road trip. He's averaging 16 points and four cents for assists off the bench for the Pistons. Uh, shooting 44% from three on nine three-point attempts a game. That's a lot of attempts to get up off the bench. Uh, Ben, I know, like, Knight's not uh, – he's not going to be a 16-point-per-game guy for, you know, any time for, like, a whole season. But, like, does this this small stretch have you reconsidering thinking about him as, like, a second or third point guard next year for this team? All right, so I'm going to answer this like it, like my knee-jerk reaction and then give a reason why my knee-jerk reaction what it is. And the knee-jerk reaction is, oh, hell no. Like, I don't want any part of Brandon Knight. Um, there's probably going to be people who disagree, but to me, Brandon Knight is and always has been fool's gold, fool's gold and, and I'll explain why. Um, but, but just a couple of things over the last few games that have jumped out to me is like, I almost feel like I'm getting trolled by Dwayne Casey. Um First thing is we've got Thon Maker and Brandon Knight lineups where they're in the court or on the court in the same lineups. And it's to me just painful to watch. And then he's also throwing out and maybe this just is because of personnel, but like these three guard lineups where it's like 
Walton Knight and Langston, or you've got Brandon Knight maybe playing the three, or it's not sure who is the three. So I don't know. It's like Derrick Rose, Brandon Knight, and another guard. Just really strange lineups. But, you know, in terms of Brandon Knight, the player, to me, I, I just don't think there's any untapped reservoir of potential here. Um, I think these few games that we've seen are pretty much just a flash in the pan. I don't think this is sustainable. If you look at where he's been for his entire career, he's always been a pretty decent three-point shooter. So I'm not shocked to see him have a good stretch. He's basically like a 34, 35 to 38% three-point shooter over the course of his career. Um, And look, that obviously has some value, especially in today's NBA. But what makes me think that this is not at all sustainable for him moving forward and why I think the front office should largely just ignore this. Since he's been with the Pistons, about 90% of his shots have been three-point attempts, and that's a huge outlier just for anybody essentially, but especially for him uh, throughout his career, he's been like a 40 to 50% two-point attempts guy or more. Um, and for whatever reason, and I think most of it's because he's playing next to Derrick Rose a lot, he's found himself spotting up. So he's taken a whole lot of threes. A lot of them are assisted, and that's just really uncommon. That's not the player Brandon Knight is, and I don't expect that to continue. Um, the second main reason basketball-wise where I don't really want him uh, as a Piston is, to me, he's still sort of this awkward dribble the ball off your own feet or get stripped Um, Just like he was when he was a rookie, like whenever he has the ball in his hands, I'm just nervous because I feel like he's going to do something absolutely stupid. The stats bear this out again with Detroit. His turnover rate is through the roof. It's almost at 25%. Again, that's a little bit higher than his career averages. But to me, no pass, hard pass on Brandon Knight. Um, Shooting efficiency is an aberration. Uh, For his career, he's about a 51% true shooting percentage guy, which is not good. this stint with Detroit, he's 62% just about. Um, yeah, this is an aberration. He's not a good point guard. Uh, he turns the ball over a lot, too much, uh, and his shooting is mostly the result of playing off guys like Derek Rose rather than creating for himself. So uh, long answer to a short short question. No, I don't I don't want Brandon Knight. That, the true shooting percentage point you brought up uh, in context with the, the three-point numbers you brought up is just like a testament to how heavily influential – three-point percentages on untrue shooting percentage. Um, but yeah, I, I got to agree with you that I don't think that uh, Brandon Knight is necessarily going to be here for the next year as a point guard, um, partially because of like what what I think about and what uh, what I wrote about like earlier this week in, in the Pistons, like needing kind of a, an, a, uh, a old, uh, older, like more established, like kind of floor general type of point guard to set the tone for some of the younger players on the roster. Um, And like, that's not necessarily what Brandon Knight's archetype is at this point in his career. Um, Like you said, he's been more effective playing off of other uh, point guards. And it was interesting to see uh, Casey utilize Bruce Brown and and Brandon Knight together um, when, you know, Bruce Brown was, was playing because, you know, uh, Casey admitted like he doesn't really trust Bruce as a point guard and it appears that like because they have Knight on the floor a lot with other ball handlers so he's not really trusted as a point guard either you talked about the turnover numbers that might be a good reason why but you know having multiple guys who can handle the ball on the floor at the same time has been beneficial for this team but like the, the hope is you get somebody who's 
better at handling and taking care of the ball than a guy like Brandon Knight. Um, you know, you we were I've been talking a lot about like the Pistons drafting a point guard, and and so I've been thinking about like what type of point guard they're going to need to help like shepherd the person they draft, and like I don't I don't want that to be Brandon Knight. Just uh, so we should just appreciate this stretch for what it is. He's helping the Pistons uh, stay semi watchable by shooting almost 10 threes a game and, you know, making 40%. I'll take that, but it's, it is what it is. It's worth what it's, uh, what's worth what it's worth. Well, and the thing that you've brought up, I think rightly about what, what Casey's approach is to this rebuild, you want to keep losing out of your culture, right? So, you know, this week Denver really ended up sort of running away with it, but really kind of in the third quarter and even earlier in the fourth, the Pistons, um, you know, made it competitive for a while. Obviously the game against, Phoenix was a very competitive win. Um, those are the kinds of losses we talk about wanting. So you you obviously need guys who can put the ball in the basket in order to be competitive. So, yeah, I mean, I can live with that. I think, you know, your point about what sort of point guard do you want? To me, yes, you want like one of those veteran guys, like and a veteran guy who sets up other people well. It kind of what I was thinking about actually this week when I was reading on the blog was um, – when Jose Calderon was a piston the first time around, like that's the kind of guy you'd want, like a, a veteran who defers, right? Like that's the kind of guy you want. And then you want to pair him with players who are um, sort of untapped potential, right? You don't know exactly what they are. Brandon Knight's neither of those things. We know who he is and he's not a point guard. So, you know, let's move on and never talk about him on the podcast again, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Fair. All right. We can move on to Dante Hall then. Uh, Dante Hall has, uh, played you know fairly regularly on his 10-day contract um he's been pretty useful from what i can tell he's gotten an, a decent amount of playing time which is always a good sign that the coaching staff uh, like likes what they're seeing in practice uh what have you been thinking of uh Dante hall ben yeah i i think first things first um if we're we're gonna have to define what we mean in terms of what we're talking about like as a fourth big, I think Dante Hall is perfectly adequate. I think the, the thing I don't really have my head around yet is if there's any uh, higher ceiling than that yet. Um, he doesn't s- strike me as overly athletic, but he had a couple possessions where he did get up off the floor pretty good. Uh, this against the Phoenix in the Phoenix game, that strikes me in particular. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a fourth guy, he seems perfectly adequate to me, right? He's a, he's a decent rebounder. Um, he seems to play hard defensively, although I'm not really convinced he's a good defender. Um, haven't seen a ton of them yet, but um, yeah, I mean, as a fourth guy, yeah, like he'd be fine. Um, I just, I don't see anything yet that makes me think, oh, maybe he could be more than a fourth big, right? Like maybe he could wake his, make his way into uh, being the third big on a rotation. I haven't really seen that yet. What are you seeing, Lance? No, that's that's a great way of putting it, actually, is that because like I'm also envisioning him in the role that he's going to be on this team long term, which is like the fourth big guy. And, you know, to that end, you know, I really start to pay attention when he and Christian Wood share the floor, because like when Blake Griffin returns, Christian Wood's probably going to come off the bench. And so like that will be the duo uh, if Hall like sticks, that'll be the duo that he's playing with. And it's kind of an issue that those uh, those when those two guys are on the floor, the Pistons have like a defensive rating like north of 160. That's, yeah, that's that's real bad. It's real bad. Granted, it's like a 20 minute sample because Hall has played like three games. Um, 
and you know you would expect that that goes down uh over the course of like more minutes but at the same time that's it's not an initially great look especially for a guy like you mentioned who was as well he's billed as like a better defensive player than i think he's shown so far the game has been a little fast for him which is understandable like moving from the the g league to the nba um he is a little bit undersized but you you do like the like straight up and down like run jump athleticism that he has that kind of makes up for that and so yeah i've been i've been uh pleased with what he's shown so far but like my expectations have also been very low right is basically like can you can you be better than thon and like so far he has improved he's like not not better than thon right <laughs> well and maybe more like so the things I think he's better at is like the traditional big stuff. Like he seems like he could be a better rebounder with a consistent yeah. role. Um, but he doesn't have those flashes so far anyway that Thon has offensively, right? Where, Or those like sort of, um, you know, super exciting blocks, right? Like Thon is known for. Um, you don't see any of that like tantalizing potential that Thon has sort of bewitched us with at times. Yeah, and you also don't see him like shooting threes, which is something he was kind of doing in the G league. Not, it wasn't a huge element of his game, but he would take a three every now and again, and they would go in every now and again. And that's, that's something I've said about Thon before, right? If Thon, you know, shot 40% from three on like decent volume, like you could, that's a guy who like you could stick in the rotation. Sure. But he hasn't been able to prove that either. And so, yeah, like, you know, Hall is doing about what we expected him to do. And we didn't really expect him to do that much, but you know, this is his first 10 day contract. He's still got time to uh, impress us some more, you know, maybe even against Sacramento tonight. Who knows? All right, Ben, the, uh, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about was, was Luke Nard. You know, we haven't seen Luke since December 21st, where now he's missed over 30 games at this point in the year uh, with the bilateral knee tendonitis. Uh, ben, if you're the Pistons, how how high a value are you placing on you know getting Luke some playing time the rest of this season? I would not prioritize playing him because I think you really know who he is as a player. I think what we saw over the first chunk of the season, however many games that was, when he was healthy and playing well, I think we saw enough of that to know that that wasn't a flash in the pan. Like that's really the player that he is when he's healthy. Um, so to me, I would be overly cautious. We've seen what happened with Blake Griffin. Obviously, Luke is a younger player than Blake, so maybe his body responds to treatment a little more quickly than Blake's has. But the Pistons rushed to get Blake back, and you know we don't know how much damage that did to Blake's long-term prospects, right? I mean, he was obviously never the same this season. Um, so to me, I would I would just let him get healthy tendonitis is one of those things that typically the treatment for it is rest. Uh, so I, I let him get healthy. Uh, his contract situation obviously is going to complicate things a little bit, but I also think that if the Pistons are open to trading him as they appeared to be just a short month ago, um, they're going to be able to maximize their return, uh, especially if they're trading him with his restricted free agent rights intact, if he's healthy uh, so I say let him rest. There's nothing to be gained in terms of evaluating him this season, and there's really nothing to be gained in terms of wins and losses. So let's let him get healthy and reassess uh, in a few months' time. I think you're right in that there's nothing to gain in terms of wins and losses. Like Luke is a good player, 
but uh, Luke's not going to, you know, fix what ails this team. Um, I think you're uh, also right on terms of like, you know, terms of contract. If they want to trade him, they can find a suitor for him. That's not a doubt. But uh, one one thing that I wanted to see before the end of the year was just how Luke was going to play with guys who nec- who like weren't as prominent in the rotation as like when he was playing. Right. I wanted to see how Luke played with Seku. I wanted to see how Luke played like more with with Christian Wood. Um, I wanted to see a backcourt of, you know, Luke Kennard and Bruce Brown and see if that's something that's worth building around. And so while I agree with you that I don't want to push Luke from a health perspective, tendonitis is something that absolutely can only be cured through through rest and rehabilitation. Um, I agree with the decision not to like, you know, force Luke to play when there's nothing to play for. But at the same time, I'm a little disappointed that we haven't gotten to see how Luke integrates with some of the other young guys on the team. Like that is if you were going to trade him, it would be useful to have that information about like whether or not he plays well with the other guys. Right. Yeah, I hear you. I wonder too, like as you were talking, I'm just wondering, does it, does the fact that they're not trying to get him back to evaluate him in those contexts, does that say anything about the front office's mindset about what they think about Kennard as part of the future moving forward? Or am I just Maybe. reading too much into it? No, I mean, it's, it's a possibility, right? It, you know, it's, it's a tough tightrope. It could be like the if he doesn't feel ready and, you know, again, the season's lost, there's nothing to play for. There's no real reason to push him. Um, you, like you mentioned, they already probably have a really good evaluation of where he stands and like what kind of uh, career arc he's going to have. You know, this is this is the year, the second year for this front office. So it's not like uh, this. They've never seen Luke before and don't quite know what they have in him. But at the same time, um, like as we as you mentioned, like they put him on the trade block. They, they said he's available. And, you know, I, I have definitely been thinking about like with with doing all this draft prep with, uh, you know, doing the standings and watching the standings and see which teams are going to end up where in, in the in this year's draft. I have been thinking about like, well, what if they just said like, hey, we couldn't figure out the protections on this first round pick. Like when, after the lottery, when we know that this pick is tenth or eleventh or seventh or whatever the pick, their uh, the Phoenix picks it ends up being, like maybe maybe they're more comfortable trading that for Luke when they know it's a it's a lower or higher, or maybe it's uncomfortable. Um, this it's uh, a theory that was kind of put out by uh, I think it was I think it was Jamon Alexander, and it's something that I haven't been able to quite escape. Um, and you know that's why I kind of bring it back to the development thing, right? Like I would be. If the Phoenix pick ends up at like 10 and, you know, I look at this draft and you can get a pretty good player at 10 probably. Um, but I would like to know like whether or not that player I'm going to get at 10 is a better fit for what this team is going to look like in the future than Luke Kennard. And it's harder to do that if he's not playing, you know? Yeah, I totally get it. I think obviously the... <laughs> the makeup of the product on the floor has changed so dramatically since Luke was last healthy. And I probably didn't think about it enough as I, as I was articulating my answer, but I think the biggie to me is it seems like Christian Wood is some part of the Pistons future. Um, It seems like maybe they want to bring him off the bench long-term and that sort of seems like what they want to do with Luke as well. So maybe there is something more significant there, as you pointed out that, that they ought to be trying for maybe, you know, even if it's like the last, eight five to eight games you know like it doesn't have to be a lot 
No, that's a, and that's a good point, right? Like they there will be games against uh, bad teams in April. They'll they'll play like you know Atlanta and Minnesota in April, and you'll have a good chance to evaluate Luke in that context and how he plays along with those guys. So I, again, like there's 20 games in the season left. I don't want to like sound the alarm about this because again, he could be back as soon as uh, you know two weeks from now. But at the same time, it's just it's something that's been uh, kind of haunting me as I think about uh, the the rest of the year for this team. All right, Ben. Uh, the last thing I really wanted to talk to you about was uh, my piece this week, as, as selfish and as that sounds. Um, earlier this week, I wrote about how the Pistons should be looking to use their cap space this offseason. Uh, you should read that on Detroit Bad Boys. But um, essentially, I said the Pistons should not use their cap space to try and sign big name free agents, of which there are precious few uh, this offseason and which uh, and very few of which would actually like help them in the not too distant future. And so, but instead they should rent out their cap space to uh, other teams who have overpaid their players. Um, you rent out your cap space, you get some future draft picks and you help rebuild the franchise that way. Uh, I mentioned some expensive contracts that are out there. You got Harrison Barnes, you got Andrew Wiggins, Eric Gordon, Nick Batum and, and Larry Nance Jr. Any of those guys interest you from a pure basketball, non-financial uh, perspective, Ben? Uh, I mean, Eric Gordon has surprised me with how productive he's been able to be as a pro. I didn't see that coming when he was a, a Big Ten player. Um, so maybe in an alternate universe where the Pistons were a little better than they are now, he would interest me. Um, Larry Nance Jr. is sort of intriguing to me as well, just because you know, those hops, right? Um, the rest of those guys, though, like Harrison Barnes, Andrew Wiggins, I feel like they kind of are who they are, right? Like, to me, they're far enough in their trajectory of development that you'd be trading them for the contract and whatever comes along with it. Uh, Batum, again, I liked him five years ago, but ever since he signed that giant contract, like he just, his production has just plummeted. It's fallen off the face of the earth. Um, you know, injuries probably had something to do with that too. But I loved your piece. I think anyone who hasn't read it should go read it. And I think um, you're absolutely right that this should be part or all of the Pistons strategy. Um, You know, the last time the Pistons had a significant amount of cap space, they went out and got Ish Smith, Boban, and John Luehr, right? That, That didn't work. They overpaid for all three of those guys. Uh, the time before that, the infamous summer where they went out and got Ben Gordon and Charlie Villanueva, again, they had to go above market value to attract, you know, essentially sort of mid-tier free agents. So free agency, I don't think is the answer for the Detroit Pistons. They're just not going to attract it. So that leaves trades and it leaves the draft. Uh, right now, the talent level of the roster is depleted such that there's not a whole lot to trade with, right? So you might as well use that cap space to hoard some some draft picks. We've seen teams be successful with that. Philly obviously comes to mind. Now, whether they've cashed in effectively is another conversation, but they certainly loaded themselves up with assets. Boston is another team who comes to mind. Again, maybe they didn't cash in as fully as they could have, but they sure had a war chest uh, to be in the conversation every time there was you know, something interesting happening. So I really like this idea. I, I think um, if the Pistons can rent out their cap space, that's a perfect way of discussing it. Load up on draft picks. Give yourself as many swings as you can, because uh, as we've been saying, you know they're they're going to need some luck uh, along the way. 
and, and I think loading up with some draft picks might give them, um, you know, a reasonable chance to get lucky a little bit. The the good news, right, is that they've already done this. We we saw this last year um, with the Tony Snell acquisition, right? Mm-hmm. They they rented out basically uh, next year's cap space um, for for an expiring contract in a draft pick. And so there's evidence that the front office is already kind of viewing this as a possible way to to add some assets. Um, but the other thing was like they did try and pitch Tony Snell as someone who would help them win games. And, you know, in it's very easy to imagine that in a better situation, in the in the situation they imagined that uh, Snell would have been a a higher contributor than he's been so far this year. And so when I look at the guys that I wrote about, I'm trying to think of like who the Pistons can convince themselves will help them in the short term and that they can also get, you know, draft assets for. Um, because again, like we we've talked about this, the 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 ground is being laid for like a multi year rebuild, but you're never quite sure about how Tom Gores will feel about that. You know, I'm sure he's seeing uh the response among the fans about like how poor the quality of the team is. Um, you know, I think there was, uh, there were some users on Twitter talking about how the, uh, the team was bringing in all the big guns, like bringing in Grant Hill and Isaiah Thomas two season ticket holders to convince them to renew. And, uh, the, the mood in that room was not, uh, extremely positive, understandably. <laughs> and so you do kind of wonder about, uh, if, if Tom Gores doesn't necessarily treat this purely as a basketball decision, but as a financial decision, um, could some of these guys maybe help you? Could some of these guys be pitched as a way to help you win games? Some games, not a lot of games, because these are not amazing players, but some games and stay out of the. Could, could, they, could they keep the Pistons out of the like, will they win 25 games discussion? Right. Well, yeah. And I, so the, the point that you're driving here that I think is, is really savvy is if you trade for one of these guys who's on a, at least relatively short-ish term contract, it's better than signing the same player to the same amount of money for the same amount of years in free agency because you're also getting that bonus pick, whatever that turns out to be, right? So I I really, I, I think you, you wrote an excellent piece. I think the logic is right. Like give yourself just enough to keep the product on the court interesting, right? Without doing something stupid in free agency, and give yourself something to build on either two years from now or three years from now or whatever. So, I mean, I, I think that's absolutely where the front office should be thinking. I think it, it was a very, it's very smart logic and very well articulated. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. And yeah, the, the, the element of, of uh, winning games, keeping the Pistons from, you know, these seven game losing streaks, I don't, I don't truly uh, think that's like, I don't think that's super relevant for the next year, but I can definitely see a universe in which other people who are not me do factor that in from a non-basketball perspective. And so I do want to just like have other fans that we're talking to on this podcast, just like keep that in mind, right? Like it's gonna, it's like, you know, this season has been rough and the team doesn't really have a desire to have multiple rough seasons. They seem scared to death of that and so like if they make a a trade to acquire one of these guys and they get some draft compensation and they try and spin it as like we're like we're gonna try and like compete for the eight seed again like don't don't take that super seriously just take that for what it's worth at face value anyway 
Yeah, and I think too, like, think about the buzz that Derrick Rose has generated in the league this year, right? Like, all of that is a positive thing if you're an owner, right? Like, if you're Tom Gores and you're worried about the perception of your franchise, I mean, Derrick Rose doesn't move the needle single-handedly, right? He's obviously not enough to carry the Pistons to the playoffs. But, you know, if you can bring in a couple guys who can do some exciting things, put up some big numbers, and, and keep fans interested, especially those casual fans interested, like, that's not a bad thing. No, that's that's absolutely a great call, Ben. And like that's exactly and you know that's why that's a big reason why I think the Pistons were so reluctant to part with Derrick Rose and place such a high premium on on, on him before the trade deadline is because of the that off the bat, off the court element of like what he offered the fans. And so like don't be surprised if they if they chase that some more is all I'm saying. All right, guys. Uh Ben, the Pistons play Sacramento in like 15-ish minutes. Uh, they play the Thunder on Wednesday, another home game finally. Uh, they play the Jazz on Saturday, and then they have a back-to-back on the road in New York Sunday to play the Knicks. All right, Ben, do the Pistons win a game this week? Yeah, I think they're going to beat Sacramento or the Knicks. Um, I'm actually looking forward to this week. I'm looking forward to watching Oklahoma City and Utah. I don't, I don't watch a lot of West Coast basketball. Um, given my responsibilities as a dad and as a as a working man. So I'm looking forward to this week. But I think one of those games, either today in a few minutes or I think it's a week from now they play the Knicks, right, on a Sunday? Yeah, back on Sunday. Saturday, Sunday. One of those games I think they end up winning. Yeah, I got you will uh, you will enjoy Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City plays uh, a very fun brand of basketball with all their, with all their point guards and yeah. <laughs> uh, Danilo Gallinari. Yep. So that, like, they're a fun team to watch. Um, I think the Pistons do win one game this week. James Edwards of the Athletic has been saying that they're they're going to win two games on this road trip, and so that would involve them winning tonight, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, but I think they can still beat the Knicks, who, despite beating the Bulls, like I talked about earlier this week, um, just like have are continue to be just like a really bad team. Like I watched some of that Bulls game. That's just like truly ugly basketball in yeah. every and like the Knicks is the franchise you don't want to become right so like that's when you become sympathetic to Dwayne, to Dwayne Casey right like you don't want to be that that culture of losing franchise exactly and and the uh you know being in that culture of losing forces you to you know forces the front office hand, front office's hand <laughs> to do things like yep. you know give Bobby Portis 15 million dollars it forces you to do dumb things in free agency when you're trying to no longer be that, that culture of losing. And so yeah. like, yeah, it's, you understand why like Casey has been like on about this, which, you know, that makes sense. All right, Ben, uh, that's the podcast. Let the people know where they can find you. Are you going to write anything else for the rest of this year? Ooh, that's a good question. I have some ideas. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll, I'll give some previews on Twitter and get some feedback about, about what people I like that. Hear, but. Yeah, I like it. At BR Golker on Twitter. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the games live this week, Laz. I'm gonna be able to do it, so I'm gonna take advantage. So at BR Golker on Twitter and hit me up in the game threads too. You you might regret that decision. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> it is nice to be able to cut out all the commercials. I gotta say that. Oh yeah, definitely. Oof. Especially even like the free throw ones. Oh yeah. You know, interestingly, so I, I had the Phoenix feed on replay. Um, and I don't know if anyone else had the Phoenix feed, but they had Isaiah Thomas on the Phoenix feed, which is extremely bizarre. It was a very strange interview to hear him talking about more about, uh, the Suns than the Pistons. Anyway, that is odd. Anyway, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at last chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Uh, I am working on some stuff 
Um, might not this be this week, might be next week. It's more draft uh, centric content. And so, you know, we got a lot of time between now and June 25th. And so we'll, that'll be out when it gets out. But anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And we will talk to y'all next week.